Well, I guess you've learned as I have, people are people wherever you go. As we consider the Lord's table this morning, I was drawn to this particular passage because of the last part of it. But there's a context, isn't there, to every passage of Scripture. And the context here is a story that uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians about, one of his experiences. And he writes in his letter to them and said, you know, as great as we think people are, they all have their flaws. People are people wherever you go. And he briefly tells the story of his experience in Antioch with Peter and himself. Where it says in the beginning of verse 11 following, as was read so beautifully this morning, he challenges Peter on being inconsistent in living what he believes. Inconsistent depending who's looking. Ah, none of us really relate to that, do we? Here on Sunday morning where our neighbors and friends are way out there and it's just us here. And while I'm not spending a lot of time on the particular issues that were raised, I thought it important to catch the tension because it's that tension that feeds the last part of the reading, isn't it? It's the tension in the, in the story he shared that leads to verse 20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. You can recall in movies or in today's video games or maybe in stories that you've read of the typical standoff. There's a line drawn in the sand by some person or some group and the crowd is asked on which side of the the line they stand. Even as early as high school sports, eh? Pick me, pick me, pick me. I want to be on that side. From early years, we know standoffs and decisions about who to relate to. And we realize that in the standoff, a decision is needed then and there, right now. And depending on the decision, life will not be the same after. So with the Lord's table, many of us here in this auditorium this morning and within the sound of my voice have at some point in our lives claimed forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, acknowledged our sinful nature and said, no more. Lying in the sand. I'm going with Jesus. I'm accepting Him as my Lord and Savior. And this morning we remember that act. And for some of us, 
that act, that initial relationship, that initial decision goes back many, many, many years. And for me, that is many years, and I'm grateful. I cannot imagine the difference in my life had I not made that decision when I was young. Cannot imagine. Grateful for those who influenced me, my parents, my family, my grandparents, and my church, who brought me to that line, said, here it is. George, take a stand. And I remember that around the Lord's table this morning. Peter said, well, you know, (laughs) I was just fellowshipping with these Jews, just so fine, and we were having a party. But then James's crew showed up. Those guys from Jerusalem showed up in Antioch. They should have stayed and mind their own, and I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit. They should have stayed there and mind their own business. But when those James people showed up, why, I just couldn't let them know that I was relating to the other group, to the Gentiles. And Paul called him on it. Paul was contrasting the things that had become law with a new way, reminding our beloved Peter there's a new way that extends beyond when you're in the privacy of friends. A new way that influences you and me when we're out there with the rest of the world. Now you have a relationship with the living God who loves everyone. This morning as we think of this commitment that I have made years ago and you have made and maybe some of you only recently... And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to just briefly talk uh, with you a bit about what it's like to stand with Christ. What does it mean today? What does it mean for me and you today to stand with Christ? Several things as we get from Galatians chapter 2 this morning. The first is, as we stand with Christ, we identify with Him. Well, okay, that's pretty simple, at least to say. I have been crucified with Christ. I identify with what he did. We often reflect on the crucifixion, particularly at the Lord's table. But what does it mean to be crucified with him? What does it mean to make a decision in the workplace that demonstrates by my act, by my decision, that I stand on that uh, uh, on some uh, uh, across some line. That I stand in some other place. That my values and my lifestyle are mirrored by some other thinking, ideology, frame of mind. I identify with his crucifixion. Death comes to all sooner or later. In this world, we willingly allow ourselves to be crucified along with God's Son. I've been made right with God, the Eternal One. 
But Paul writes, by observing the law, no one will be justified. By living on that other side, by living on the culture side, by living the way our culture demonstrates, there is no justification. And he says to Peter, I've identified myself completely with Jesus. What do you think most people today identify with? If you identify with him, with Jesus, what do you think most people identify with? I find in my experience, people that I know identify certainly with things. We see that in advertising all the time. A person's value is sort of judged by the vehicle they drive and people advertise to us that way with the idea that wouldn't you be identified as someone if special if you drove that? In our culture, people identify with things. Sometimes in our culture, people identify with a relationship. So we are married. And our identity is in that marriage. I'm so-and-so's spouse. That's my value. That's my identity. That's not uncommon in our culture. Some identify with quickly jobs, stocks, children. Did you see? My son graduated from high school. That's good for me. All the effort and energy I put in to make sure that he got through. That's my identity. His work, his job, our grandkids, and I can go on and on. The point I'm making this morning when you say through the Lord's table that you identify with Christ, you're talking about who you are. And you know, my friends, who you are doesn't relate to color, doesn't relate to the particular clothing you wear, or whether you wear a, something on your head, or whether you're Welsh like me. So many of these things in terms of our birth and our country and our history can give us an identity. And in our cultures, in our culture, that seems to be essential. But I think Paul is suggesting this morning, if around this table, in the privacy of our fellowship, we take this cup and this bread we are identifying with Christ, hence called Christians in the early church. So first of all, to stand with Christ means to identify with him. 
Secondly, to stand with Christ means to eliminate self. Ouch, George, now you're getting too close. Eliminate self? With all the current psychology out there? You notice, of course, the word sin. The middle letter is what? I. To identify with Christ, I believe this morning, means to get rid of the I. The self no longer lives. And of course, the issue that I often think about around this subject is what is so prevalent in our culture, and that's individualism. It's a Western thing. It's certainly not a biblical point of view. If you like the contrast, the biblical perspective is community. The Western perspective is individualism. And I'm a product of that. My parents were a product of that. This is not a new thing. And all of us are influenced by the importance of the self. Me first. I did it my way. To identify with Jesus, to stand with Christ means the elimination of self. Now I no longer do those things. Christ is seen in me. I have a relationship with the person of Jesus. Paul writes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These descriptions of living no longer apply. I challenge some of the concepts today of self-esteem. I die to self. I die to sin. I die to the world. And if this is not really clear in the concept of salvation, it is certainly a little clear in the concept of believer's baptism, which many of us have experienced and which we find so prevalent in the Scriptures. Salvation is made clearer, I believe, through the model of believer's baptism, which we find in Romans 6. A few verses from verse 5 following model what believer's baptism does for us who are new in the faith. For if we've been united with him in death like this, verse 5, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old life was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Well, it's a process, right? Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives in God. So, with believers' baptism, we confess we have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and ask for our sins to be forgiven. And we go beneath the water, which is like the death of Jesus in the tomb, buried away. And by His grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are rise, we rise again to newness of life, out of the water, representing purity and freshness and newness of life 
and eternal life to come. The elimination of self is seen in believers' baptism. Finally, to stand with Christ means the rejuvenation of life. The rejuvenation of life. But Christ lives in me. Christ places those things that were life to me. He takes the place. And as he lives in me, my value becomes significant. I become significant because of Christ in me. Dear friends, you are significant in Christ. You are important. And if for some if in some case you're living right now in a relationship young or not so young where those in that relationship are attending to exercise power over you whether through finances or a living situation, or a family situation. That must stop. You are valuable. You are important in God's eyes. And no one has the right to exert their power over you in matters of life and living. We need to talk about that if that is the case. If in your situation, there are those who seek to control how you live, we need to talk in privacy. However, you can always reach me through the office. Young or not so young alike, in Christ, you are significant. Your life has been rejuvenated in him. In Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ. It gives me value. It gives me purpose. Final story I want to share in terms of rejuvenation. In a large stone cathedral in Europe, there was a large, magnificent pipe organ It was Saturday afternoon, and the sexton was making one final check of the the choir and the organ loft high in the balcony at the back of the church. Assuming he was alone, he was startled to hear footsteps echoing on the stone stairway as he thought the doors were all locked and no one was around. He turned to see a man in slightly tattered traveling clothes coming towards him. Excuse me, sir, said uh, said the stranger. I've come from quite a distance to see the great organ in this cathedral. Would you mind opening the console so I might take a closer look? The custodian at first refused, but the stranger seemed eager and insistent. And he finally gave in. May I sit on the bench? The stranger asked. Well, the request of the stranger was met with absolute refusal by the custodian of the cathedral. What if the organist came in and found you sitting on his bench? 
I could lose my job, he said. But again, the stranger was so persistent that the sexton gave in, uh, but only for a moment, he said. The custodian noticed that the stranger seemed to be very much at home on the organ bench. And so he was not completely surprised when he asked, when he asked him if he just could play the organ a little bit. Oh, no, definitely not, said the custodian. No one's allowed to play it except the cathedral organist. Well, the man's face fell, and his deep disappointment was obvious. He reminded the custodian how far he had come. And he assured him that no damage would be done. Finally, the sexton relented and told the stranger he could play the instrument, but only a few notes, and then he'd have to leave. Overjoyed, the stranger pulled out a few stops and began to play. Suddenly, the cathedral was filled with the most beautiful music the custodian had ever heard. The music seemed to transport him heavenward. In what seemed like all too short a time, the dowdy stranger stopped playing and said, as he slid off the bench, thank you, started to go down the stairway. Wait, wait, cried the custodian. That was the most beautiful music I've ever heard. Who are you? The stranger turned for just a moment and replied, Mendelssohn. The man was not other than Felix Mendelssohn, one of the greatest organists and composers of the 19th century. The cathedral sexton was alone now, and in that great stone edifice, the beautiful organ music still ringing in his ears. Just think, he said softly, I almost kept the master from playing his music in my cathedral. Each one of us has the opportunity this morning as we celebrate the Lord's table with a personal relationship to the master of the universe, Jesus Christ, to let him keep influencing the way you and I live. Not just here. You know, not just with the People gathered around the table in that corner uh, in Antioch. But even if somebody else shows up with some authority, some so-and-so comes along, some boss, some spouse, some parent comes along, allowing Jesus to still influence our life today. Because... We stand with Christ. That's what I remember around this table.